All this is Dr. Mubeen Sayed from FLCCC. I am here with one more episode of Long Story Short. The discussion that we have started since the last week is what causes chronic inflammation. Of course, the point of this discussion is to then arrive at a point to say how do we manage chronic inflammation. And chronic inflammation being inflammatory state of our body for a long time. And you may have heard this message from people to say, patients, that hey, I have a chronic inflammatory state or my body's inflammations increase when I eat carbohydrates or when I do this kind of activity or when I am stressed out and so on. So I wanted to make sure that we understand what these mechanisms are underlying these symptoms. And secondly, we understand these mechanisms so that we can modulate them. So let's start the second part. Today what we'll do is this. We'll look at the cellular mechanisms that are taking part in inflammation and we will look at the main or major molecules that are released during inflammation. And the point is once again understanding these mechanisms and then knowing that once these mechanisms become dysregulated then we can end up with the chronic inflammation and they, of course, are becoming the target for managing the chronic inflammation as well. So let's start. So first of all, what is inflammation? And today we're going to talk primarily about the cellular mechanisms of inflammation. So inflammation is the principal process of our body, which is mainly run by innate arm of the immune system. And this process is tasked with elimination of microbes, any pathogens that may have invaded our body, for example, viruses, bacteria, fungi, or irritating substances, for example, silica dust, or pollens, or other allergens. In COVID context, let's say spike proteins, or any tissue damage, and the damaged cells, or worn out cells, or broken cells, or older cells that need to be removed, and the tissue needs to be repaired. For all of this, the principal mechanism is called inflammation that takes care of it. So, of course, the objective of inflammation is rather noble within our body, and that is to remove the pathogens, repair the tissue-damaged area, and go from there. However, we know that this objective, in most cases, is met, but when it becomes elongated, when it is dysregulated, we end up with the chronic inflammation, and now we start getting damage to our own body. So, going back to the inflammation, what is the process of the inflammation? How does innate arm starts all this? Remember, innate arm starts the inflammation, then it involves the adaptive arm, then both of these arms amplify each other. And then there is a third part, which is part of both arms, and that is regulatory system that would help to calm this inflammatory system down. We'll talk about regulatory system in our next episode. So here, let's start with the innate arm. So innate arm, important cells for today's discussion, mast cells, macrophages, dendritic cells. There are neutrophils also that are part of innate arm. There are natural killer cells that are part of innate arm as well. We're not talking too much about them. We're talking about these main cells. And why are we talking about these cells? Mast cells, macrophages, and dendritic cells are present everywhere in our body. These cells are called sentinel cells. Sentinel cells mean sensory cells. These cells are on a watch. 
they're present everywhere and they're sensing if there is tissue damage, if there is any irritating substance in our body or if there is a microbe that is a fungus, virus or bacteria. And then they would help start the fight to help that area. Now these cells, for example, the macrophages, when they are present in the liver, they can be named differently. They could be called kupfer cells of the liver, but they are really the sentinel cells within the liver, macrophages, you can say, of the liver. We also have similar cells in the spleen as well, and these are splenic macrophages. Brain, on the other hand, has its own immune system. Brain is a privileged area. It does not like inflammatory cells to enter or antibodies to enter it from outside. Although there can be times when the blood-brain barrier is inflamed or compromised and these cells can enter the brain and the antibodies can enter the brain. On the other hand, the inflammatory molecules that are produced outside of the brain, for example, interleukin-1 and interleukin-6 and TNF and other such molecules, they can cross the blood-brain barrier and go in the brain and trigger inflammation or influence the brain. So brain has its own cells then for its own immune mechanisms. And the important cells here, the sentinel cells, are microglia. You can call them the macrophages of the brain. In our lungs, the alveoli of the lungs, where the gas exchange is occurring, there are macrophages that are sitting there as well to make sure that if there is any virus or mostly viruses reach that deep, but virus or bacteria or fungus or some other allergen, if that is able to enter there, these macrophages are sitting there to clear them out. Then there are macrophages present in the peritoneum. Then there are macrophages present under the surfaces of our body, so under the skin and under the mucous membranes. And these are called Langerhan cells. Langerhan cells are actually different from Langhan cells. Langhan cells are when there are multiple macrophages that have merged together to make big granuloma cells or epithelioid cells. We call them Langhan cells. So that's a different discussion. These cells, the macrophages under the epithelium are called Langerhan cells. So what is the point of this part of the discussion? The point is all of our tissues have these sentinel or sensory cells that are watching for any abnormalities in tissue or presence of any irritants, or presence of any microbes. This is how the fight will start. These are the guys that started. And if they get dysregulated, we end up with a chronic inflammation. So here, how do these cells work? So imagine on this picture, keep this picture in two halves, left and right. So let's go to the left side for a second. Let's say this is a sentinel cell. Let's say this is a macrophage or a dendritic cell. And here is a tissue cell, normal civilian tissue cell, that has become broken. It is broken either because of some trauma or because of some irritant, acids, alkalis, some other such things, or radiation, for example. Or it has been broken because there was inflammation, there was fight going on in this area, and that fight caused damage, maybe a bacteria or a pathogen or something caused damage to this cell as well. So this is a broken cell. Now, here is a sentinel or sensory cell. These sensory cells, macrophages, dendritic cells, mast cells, have special receptors on them. Just like we have hands, these guys have thousands of hands on them as well. These special receptors are called toll-like receptors or TLRs. These toll-like receptors can be of different categories. For example, in this case, 
these receptors are called damage associated molecular pattern recognition receptors in general all of these toll like receptors are also called pattern recognition receptors or prrs here we are looking at a category which is called damage associated molecular pattern receptors why damage associated because of course the cell is damaged and it has spilled its guts the things from within the cell like a broken egg these things have spilled out and those molecules that have spilled out for example broken pieces of rna or dna or mitochondria or broken mitochondria cytochrome c enzyme from within the mitochondria the golgi apparatuses and so many other things spill out of the cell and these receptors can recognize those patterns they can say oh man this is from inside the cell just like if there is someone with their guts out we can say that hey this was supposed to be inside the body why is it outside so this is one way that these sentinel cells look at the tissue and understand there is damage then if you look at the right side of this diagram this red one is my attempt at making for example streptococci so these are rounded bacteria that make strips or lines and that's why we call them streptococci so here is another sentinel cell maybe another dendritic cell macrophage mast cell and it has the receptor which is now trying to recognize this pathogen as a foreign pathogen and the pathogens have fortunately patterns on them that our cells can recognize these as a foreign pathogen or foreign material pattern so these patterns on these pathogens are called pathogen associated molecular patterns <laughs> how how tricky huh so pathogen associated molecular patterns or pamps the tissue patterns are called damps so the pamps are recognized by these sentinel cells by pamp receptors right so today in this diagram we talked about tlr these are the overall bigger category of receptors toll like receptors toll like receptors one category important category is pattern recognition receptors sometimes they are used interchangeably the names and then within the toll like receptors or prrs pattern recognition receptors there are multiple categories for example damage associated molecular pattern receptors or pathogen associated molecular pattern receptors damp receptors or pamp receptors now once the cell has actually recognized a problem then what happens that cell is usually called a resting cell when it is looking at these things resting it is kind of sitting there in a calm resting state but it is sensing the things around it and then as it senses something now it is going to become active and it is going to make other cells active as well so what these cells do is they immediately start releasing inflammatory molecules or just generally chemical substances which are generally called cytokines and cytokines can be of many types and they can have various functions cytokines can also be chemokines chemokines are specifically those chemical substances that are released from the cells and that result in other cells movement so for example chemokines released let's say from an injury on my finger are capable of chemokines are cap capable of going through the blood vascular system all the way to the bone marrow and ask the bone marrow to send more cells in the blood which would end up on my fingertip as well where i may have an injury so chemokines result in movement of the cells cytokines are general chemical substances released by the cells that are involved in these fights now cytokines if you see here are mostly released by dendritic cells 
However, other cells can also release them. Now, what cells release cytokines? Mast cells release cytokines, endothelial cells, which are the inner surface cells of the blood vessels, epithelial cells, which are the body surface cells, etc. Actually, you would see that almost all cells are capable of producing cytokines, but these are the cells that produce cytokines in more volume. Now, what are the kind of cytokines? For example, today, there are hundreds and thousands of cytokines, but the important ones, tumor necrosis factor. And you would see this cytokine and its name and function appear again and again. So keep an eye on TNF, especially TNF alpha. Then interleukin 1, and we'll talk a lot about that. Interleukin 6, we'll talk a lot about that as well. Then interleukin 12, 15, 18, interferon alpha and beta, especially interferon alphas, We'll talk a lot about that as well because these are produced especially in the viral infections and they help the neighboring cells to shore up their defenses. Interleukin 10, interleukin 18, 23, 27 and more. I just took some. Similarly, we produce chemokines and I said chemokines are those molecules that would attract other cells to the area of the inflammation. So for example, there are multiple categories of chemokines CCL2, 3, 4, 5, 11, 17, so that is one category. Then CXCLs, 1, 8, 9, 10, 12, 13. Then XCL1, or called the lymphodectins. And then we have CX3CL1, which are called fractal kines. And we'll do the discussions as we discuss various parts of inflammation, but just keep an idea that chemokines are chemical molecules that would result in other cells to move to the site of inflammation. That also means if you don't want other cells to come there to the site of inflammation, then maybe you can modulate chemokines. Now, as I said before, cytokines, these act as either a paracrine hormone or substance. They have a paracrine action or they can have an endocrine action. What does that mean? Imagine this is a sentinel cell. This is a mast cell or a macrophage or a dendritic cell. This cell came across some tissue damage or microbe or some irritating substance. As a result, it started producing cytokines. Those cytokines can flow within the tissue and go to the neighboring cells and influence these cells. For example, these cytokines may provide a message to the neighboring cell that here there is a virus in me, this cell that released the cytokine, for example interferons are released and then the neighboring cell is asked to shut down its machineries that may be used for viral replications. So this is how the neighboring cell is asked to shore up their defenses. So this function of a chemical substance releasing from a cell and acting on a neighboring cell is called a paracrine action because it is an immediate vicinity. Now it is possible that that neighboring cell, when that becomes active, that will release even more cytokines. And now we are in a cycle of increasing cytokines. Cytokines can also enter local blood vessels. From there, they can travel in the blood, go to the distant areas and work there. And that will be called an endocrine action of a cytokine. For example, interleukin 1 or interleukin 6, they can go to the liver and they can ask the cells of the liver to produce more inflammation-related 
molecules, for example, complement systems or C-reactive proteins and so on. These cytokines, for example, interleukin-1 can go all the way to the brain and act on hypothalamus and change the temperature set point of our system. And the hypothalamus, when the temperature, for example, let's say the normal temperature is X, and now interleukin-1 goes to the brain and tells the hypothalamus that the normal temperature should be Y, then our body is going to try to increase the temperature to Y if that is a higher temperature, and that is what we feel as a fever. So again, the point is, cytokines can act as paracrines or endocrines. Now, cytokines of the innate arm, again, an innate arm is the principal mechanism by which inflammation itself starts. What is the role of all of these? What are the big categories? The big categories are, number one, there is local inflammation that is produced. So there are more cells that will come over as a result of cytokines. Then there is the viral replication inhibition that can occur. And I said that a couple of times before that interferons can help neighboring cells shore up their defenses. Then the helper T cell responses are increased as a result of cytokines. Actually, it is important for various cells that are going to participate in inflammation, for example, T helper naive cells or T helper 1 or 2 or B cells or cytotoxic T cells. It is necessary for them to receive cytokine signals in addition to antigenic signals and other cellular signals to function. This is the double and triple checking mechanisms of our body so that the inflammation does not become run away. So these cytokines can go and influence these cells. So now I'm going to look at just two or three important cytokines. We'll continue to look at more later on. So tumor necrosis factor alpha, interleukin-1 and interleukin-6 are important for today's discussion. Now tumor necrosis factor alpha is a major contributor to inflammation in several chronic inflammatory diseases. Hence, anti-tumor necrosis factor alpha drugs are used for the treatment of the chronic autoimmune diseases or chronic inflammatory states. This is a category of drugs that is replacing drugs like steroids, which are more broad spectrum and can cause more side effects. So one can go in with TNF-alpha and start modulating the immune system. And that is what is happening. Now, tumor necrosis factor was originally seen as a causes tumor necrosis. So if there is an overgrowth of some cell somewhere, then the TNF is found in that area and it is found to be causing the cellular death. So the interesting thing is it is released by macrophages. When it is released, it is further broken up into small triangular shaped molecules. So we, in medical terms, we'll say it is cleaved into those shapes. Those triangular shaped molecules are then going to circulate in the blood circulation. Because of their shape, they find it easy to bind to various receptors. They cause activation of endothelial cells. So that is the blood vessel cells. And that is how blood vessel wall cells start taking part in inflammation. Then neutrophils, which is another cell of the innate arm and helps clear out the broken and worn out cells. Especially neutrophils help with the viruses and other microbes. TNF acts on the liver as well and liver in when it is influenced by the TNF it starts producing what we say acute phase proteins for example complement and for example C-reactive proteins and ferritins and so on. TNF can go to hypothalamus and change our temperature set point and cause fever as well. 
TNF acts on our muscle as well and breaks down the muscle fats. This is why in advanced cases of tumors, the TNF production causes cachexia, which is a condition where the muscle loss starts occurring. And TNF causes apoptosis of many kinds of cells. Now remember, cell death can be of three types. A cell death that occurs because of damage by a pathogen or an accidental traumatic state, or a cell death can occur by apoptosis, or a cell death can occur by apoptosis. So in the first case, where there is trauma of some sort, when the cell dies, it releases all kinds of inflammatory patterns which are then picked up by these sentinel cells and the inflammation starts. In case of apoptosis, a cell is asked to die without releasing any inflammatory molecules so that cell is cleared away without starting inflammation. So it's a normal natural process of our body. And a third type is pyroptosis, which is cell is asked to die, normally the sentinel cells themselves, but while they are dying, they are so upset that they themselves release bunch of molecules, inflammatory molecules like hand grenades coming out of them and they cause, they die, but they also cause fiery outcomes. This is why pyroptosis, pyre is for fire. So they have fiery death and in that they also cause inflammation. So this is TNF, just a brief one. Interleukin 1, released by macrophages, endothelium of the blood vessels, some epithelial cells can release it too. And interleukin 1 can cause endothelial activation, it influences the liver cells, especially for the acute phase proteins, complement proteins and others, as I mentioned. Interleukin-1 can act on hypothalamus as well, does act on hypothalamus, changes our temperature set point, causes fever. And then interleukin-1 can help T-cells differentiate. Differentiate is where the cells start increasing number that is called proliferation. After the proliferation, we've made a lot of baby cells now, these baby cells need to become specialists in some areas that is called differentiation. So, these molecules can help activate the gene expressions that would then help the cells to become specialists in various areas. Interleukin-6, macrophages release them, endothelium, T cells release them, and B cell and antibody production. So, you would have seen or we'll talk about it when the immune system adaptive arm works towards the B cells, you would see that the T helper 2 cells, they produce interleukin 4 and 5 and 6 and 10. So interleukin 6, as we are looking here, it causes the B cell to produce more antibodies, plus it causes the B cells to proliferate or increase in number. So of course, more B cells would mean more antibodies. Now, very quickly, we go deeper, one more <laughs> level deep. What is happening inside the cells which are clearing the damaged cell or which are trying to remove the pathogens or irritants? How are we doing that? That is a final common thing in our body to take care of cause of the inflammation. So here is what happens. So now you are to the last straw of how our body is working for inflammation. So here is a sentinel cell that became activated and let's say it is a mast cell and it releases histamine and prostaglandins. Those histamines and prostaglandins would work on the local capillaries, local small tiny microscopic blood vessels and the cells of the capillaries would start shrinking 
to allow space between them that would allow the nutrients and the fluids to move out and fluids to move in. This is what causes the local swelling and redness, so the chemical substances here. Because the blood flow increases, that causes redness and swelling because they exudate more blood coming or fluids coming out of the capillaries. This is called increased capillary permeability. Then, of course, as the diameter increases, then there is more blood flow in that area as well. That is also what causes swelling. Then there are more, of course, antibodies that would arrive in that area. There are going to be more collectins, which are proteins for the inflammation. There is going to be more complement system proteins that are coming from the liver to this area. There are going to be more pentrexins and other such proteins which are taking part in inflammation. Now, in addition to, so let's say this was a mast cell producing histamine and prostaglandins, other cells, as we saw above, will produce a tumor necrosis factor and interleukin-1, for example. Of course, a lot of molecules are being released. We're talking about these specific ones. So tumor necrosis factor and interleukin-1 will in turn work on the venular cells. So venules are the next part of the blood vessel after capillary and they are now going to help collect the blood back towards the heart. So venular endothelium or the cells are influenced by TNF and IL-1 and what these cells do is that in response to these molecules they open up their arms, they extrude proteins on their surface or their hair stand on their ends to catch the inflammatory molecules and to allow these molecules to stop there and get into the inflammatory area. So we call them integrins or cell adhesion molecules. So the local endothelium will start opening up their integrins and cell adhesion molecules, which will then bind with the white blood cells, stop them and help them get into the inflammatory area. Now here, if you see, for example, TNF, when the tumor necrosis factor is released, it's a cytokine, gets into the blood vessel. When it gets into the blood vessel, what it does is it causes the ICAM or intercellular adhesion molecule 1, it causes ICAM 1 on the endothelium to become popped up. It also causes integrins on the passersby WBCs to open up as well. The result is that these WBCs start becoming marginalized and they roll on the cells of the, cells of the blood vessel like a runway on them and then they stop because of these adhesion molecules and finally they can drill either they can pass between the cells into the inflammatory area or they can even drill holes in the cells and enter the inflammatory area and go and take part in the inflammation. At the same time the tumor necrosis factors interleukin 1, interleukin 6 when these molecules are released they go to the bone marrow and they ask the bone marrow also in presence of the colony stimulating factors, the colony stimulating factors are also molecules released from the inflammatory area or inflamed area. And so all of these molecules together tell the bone marrow to make more cells that are going to go to the area of inflammation. More important cells there are neutrophils. Neutrophils are the most abundant responders of the inflammation and the very first responders in majority of the inflammation. There are certain inflammatory triggers that cause monocytes to respond more, but most of the time neutrophils respond. So final part of the discussion today, what are the molecular activities happening in this area? You are really to the last little chemical substances and burning of the pathogens that is happening. So here is what happens. 
So we have these sentinel cells. Their first job is to pick up a pathogen, ingest it, eat it, and then break it down. That's what we're going to look at. How do they capture it, eat it up, and then break it down? So most important thing is that during this process, these sentinel cells need energy. If they do not have energy, they cannot perform their function well. This is what tells you that how important it will be for the energy molecules to be available. And there are many pathogens and inflammatory systems that could dysregulate that as well. So, for example, melatonin is an important part because it helps regulate energy production. Then here, let's say this is a sentinel cell. How does it capture the pathogens? It has many kind of receptors on it to capture the pathogen. For example, a pathogen here, let's say this one, this pathogen is coated by antibodies. We call this opsonization. Opsonization is to make a foreign material, a pathogen, virus, bacteria, fungus, some allergen, to make it delicious <laughs> for our sentinel cells to eat it up. That process is called opsonization, to make it capable of being picked up. So you can think of these antibodies or complements here as little handles that we attach to the pathogen and then the sentinel cells can come and hold the pathogen with that handle and eat it up. So here there is an antibody. That antibody binds to the IgGFC gamma receptor. And with this, this pathogen and the antibody complex will be taken in. Here there is another pathogen that has been coated by the complement protein, which is also another set of proteins for the acute infection released by the liver. And that coating would then allow there are receptors for C3B, which is a complement protein attached to the pathogen and opsonizing the pathogens. So this complex can then be internalized as well. And then there are lectin, which is also another complement system. We'll talk about that. But just another chemical molecule that we release when we, are, we have inflammation, and that molecule can go and attach to the pathogens too. And then our sentinel cells can bind to that molecule which is in turn bound to the pathogen and the whole complex can be eaten up. That is a phagocytosis. Again, energy is needed. Once the pathogen is phagocytosed, it is brought into the, of course, the cell. Then the cells have lysosomes. Lysosomes are like the dangerous vesicle, small spheres within the cell. And they have acids and they have proteolytic enzymes they have molecules in there that when come in contact with the pathogen, these molecules are going to destroy the pathogen. Now, these lysosomes are activated by the PRR signals, by the cytokine receptor signals. For example, if interferon gamma arrives in the environment and acts on a cell, that interferon gamma would activate this whole process. Similarly, if CD40 receptors are activated, then that can happen too. So once the pathogen has been phagocytosed here, then that pathogen is combined with the lysosome, the stomach of the cell, and then the content of the lysosomes are activated. So we make fresh acids and then we spill them on this pathogen and kill them. So what is it that we make there? So we usually make reactive oxygen species and nitric oxides. And these are the ones that would then help kill the pathogen. So reactive oxygen species are mainly present in the neutrophils 
macrophages have some of them too. And nitric oxide species are mainly present in the macrophages. Now what happens is, for example, look here for a second. In, let's say, macrophage, in the cytosol of the macrophage, that is the cytoplasm of the macrophage, there is an enzyme called inos or inducible nitric oxide synthase. The inos enzyme, when becoming activated as a result of the toll-like receptor activation, as a result of this cell saying, hey, I need to be active, or this other cytokines, remember the paracrine function of the cytokines? So the neighboring cells are releasing cytokines because there is infection. Those cytokines are infection or cause of inflammation. Those cytokines are now attaching to this cell, which are activating this cell. And in that process, INOS is activated. When that is activated, it picks up arginine that is also present within the cell and converts it to citrulline. In that process, it produces nitric oxide. That nitric oxide gets into the cell and makes nitric oxide species radicals which would then attack the pathogen and kill them. Similarly, we can have on the lysosomal wall, there is an enzyme called the oxidase or phagocyte oxidase. This enzyme, in the presence of NADPH, it can pick up oxygen and convert oxygen into radical oxygen or radical oxygen species. And then that oxygen is going to be attacking the pathogen or broken cells as well and clear them. Now this oxidase enzyme is activated by interferon gamma and activation of toll-like receptors. So you can see that controlling the inflammatory molecules is very important to reduce further inflammation and controlling the toll-like receptors activations is very important. And finally, let's discuss the chemical substances that take part in destroying the pathogens that we have captured, these cells have captured, or a broken cell that needs to be eliminated, or a worn-out cell, and so on. So let's see what happens. The basic idea is that, as I said before, these cells are going to produce reactive oxygen species or reactive nitrogen species, and then they'll put them on the thing to destroy, and that is how they would destroy them. So let's see. So imagine we are within a phagocyte. Phagocyte is those cells that have eaten up a pathogen. And let's say we are here in this area. So these chemical things are happening within the cell, these chemical reactions. So superoxides are picked up. So let's say we make superoxides, these cells. So they take oxygen, they use water as well, and they use this enzyme called superoxide dismutase. Now, interestingly, this enzyme uses copper and zinc. So imagine zinc deficiency of, or copper deficiency can actually reduce this function that would eliminate the pathogen. So we have copper and zinc and superoxide dismutase. Then what happens is this enzyme helps produce oxygen, water and H2O2, hydrogen peroxide, I believe it is called. Now, hydrogen peroxide is then, it's picked up by another enzyme called myeloperoxidase. And myeloperoxidase picks up H2O2 and chloride and it makes HOCl, or I believe it is called hypochlorous acid. And this is a dangerous radical, it's an acidic thing that when put on the pathogen or other substances, it would kill them, it would destroy them. So here, myeloperoxidase has made HOCl and that HOCl 
is going to now kill the pathogen. So that is what's happening here. Then, if we continue with our discussion, these are the examples of respiratory burst. Respiratory burst is actually, for example, it happens in the neutrophils. Respiratory burst simply means that the cell respires, let's say a neutrophil or a macrophage, it respires, it takes oxygen, then converts that into these dangerous radicals and then it uses those dangerous chemicals to kill the pathogen. So that's a burst of respiration during which this is happening. Sometimes there are certain phagocytes that cannot do the respiratory burst. In some people, their myeloperoxidase enzyme system is not working correctly. And so they cannot perform the last thing to destroy the pathogen and that is to do the respiratory burst. And so they keep getting chronic inflammations throughout their life. For example, one such is the chronic granulomatous disease. Now that is the oxygen species. How about nitric oxide or NO species? This is mostly in macrophages. Respiratory burst is mostly in the neutrophils. So here, once again, this is the inducible nitric oxide synthase. So this is an enzyme that can make nitric oxide. It is inducible, that means from outside triggers can cause this enzyme to become active. In resting sentinel cells, it is actually not present anywhere. But once these cells get induced, then this becomes available as well. It is made as well. And now what it does is, as I said before, it picks up arginine and it converts that into citrulline. At the same time, it produces nitric oxide gas. That nitric oxide gas is then combined with H2O2, as you saw before, from the oxidases. This H2O2 and nitric oxide together make peroxynitrate radical. That peroxynitrate radical, just like reactive oxygen species, now we have a reactive nitrogen species and that is going to kill the pathogen as well. Finally, in these lysosomes, those little spheres with the dangerous things in them, there are an additional category of enzymes in there which are called proteolytic enzymes. So now you know that there can be enzymes to make oxygen radicals, there can be enzymes to make nitrogen radicals, and now you're seeing a third category and that is proteolytic enzymes. Proteolytic enzyme means enzymes that can break down proteins. And these pathogens and cells and the things that need to be broken, they have a lot of peptide chains in them or protein structures in them. So proteolytic enzymes can break down those proteins. Kind of just like if we eat meat and our gastrointestinal tract digests it, breaks it down and then uses it. Similarly, we can take these tiny little microscopic structures and digest them through the proteolytic enzymes. So more common enzyme, for example, elastase. Elastase, of course, as the name says, it breaks down the elastic type structures and serine protease is an important enzyme in there. Similarly, cathepsin G is another. These enzymes are present in, for example, activated neutrophils and macrophages and they break down the proteins in the pathogens or other substances, cells or cell struct debris, and that is how they digest these systems as well. So in conclusion, the point of this discussion is to understand at the very fine level, what are the molecular and cellular mechanisms that are activated, initiated, and are working to eliminate a pathogen, an offending, irritating substance, 
or a broken tissue piece if these go wrong if these become dysregulated then the result is that we can end up with a chronic inflammation secondly if we have chronic inflammation there is some mechanism out of these mechanisms that we just saw that is going wrong or that is reoccurring maybe there is a continuous trigger that is present maybe there is a cell that has become abnormal maybe its genetic structure has become abnormal maybe the cell is just getting some spike protein piece in it or some other environmental trigger is present the end result is that cell has become dysregulated there are genetic propensities as well so some people develop allergies others don't so that is a genetic propensity there are acquired propensities as well for example it is very common nowadays to hear after the covid there is a propensity to develop inflammatory diseases or allergies same for the vaccines too so hopefully this helps understand the basic mechanisms we will continue with our discussion to see how then to modulate these mechanisms to try to handle long covid and vaccine injuries thank you very much see you next time